Hello and welcome back to another episode of Locked on Spartans. It is Friday, July 12th, 2019. I'm your host, Will Hunter. Thanks so much for joining me for today's episode on the schedule today on the docket. Uh, We're going to start off talking a little bit of Summer League. Uh, Didn't quite get to all of the Michigan State guys participating uh, in, was it Tuesday? Yeah, Tuesday's show. Uh, that are in summer league, and we got you know just some updated things we can add on with Costello, uh, Miles Bridges, Nick Ward a little bit too. So doing summer league in the first segment that'll probably be a little bit longer. Uh, segment two, I want to talk about Marcus Bingham uh, and the allure of Moneyball. <laughs> um, so we got reports about Marcus Bingham that are interesting, and and Moneyball doesn't help cool any hype that is building behind him. So we'll talk about that for segment two. And then segment three, we've got uh, a win total for Michigan State that has come out. uh, And I want to talk about how I feel about that win total and what side, if I was going to be someone who wagered on it, uh, I would be most comfortable taking. So that's what we're doing today. Uh, Today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com, be there, do that, get rewarded. Uh, reminder, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Whatever podcast service you use, you can find Locked on Spartans there. Hit that subscribe button. It's the easiest way to get these episodes directly to your phone every single day that I publish them. Head on over to iTunes, find the podcast there, and leave a nice review. You know, that's really, I, I always appreciate it. It makes me feel good. Five-star review. Uh, and then, or five-star rating, I guess, and then leave a review as well if you would like. Uh, I enjoy reading through those from time to time. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about some Summer League. Okay, so this, the, the place I want to start is with two Michigan State Spartans who aren't really having a Summer League. They're at Summer League, but they're not really having a Summer League. That's Kenny Goins and Matt McQuaid. Uh, Matt McQuaid is with the Pistons Summer League team, and Kenny Goins is with the Denver Nuggets Summer League team, although you wouldn't know it if you watched all their Summer League games. Uh, In three games so far with the Pistons, McQuaid has a total of like a minute, 37 seconds on the floor. He did finally, finally get his first professional shot attempt in his third Summer League game, so that was exciting. Uh, He took a three and missed it. Uh, but yeah, it was a, a late sub in when Michigan or when Michigan uh, State, when uh, Detroit was up 20 or something on Croatia in the first game, uh, didn't touch the ball, didn't play in the second game, third game, Pistons were up big again late. Uh, he got subbed in and, and got a shot attempt uh, up in the last minute of the game, but missed it. Uh, and Kenny hasn't seen the floor yet. Denver's only played twice. Uh, their first game was canceled because there was an earthquake. Uh, but Denver's only played twice, and Kenny has not sniffed the floor yet. Denver has a little bit shorter rotation, just j- judging by their box scores, uh, than your typical summer league team. Uh, generally, you know, there'll be two DNPs on a summer league team, a roster of, uh, let's see here, they played Golden State, and Golden State had 11 of their 13 guys get minutes. Uh, Denver played only 10 guys. So not a huge difference, but Denver also has a much deeper bench. Denver has like, let's see, 10, 16 people with them. 
uh, which includes Michael Porter Jr. is not playing. So in theory, 15 guys eligible to play for Denver, full roster. And Kenny's just not part of the top 10 guys on that team. We'll see if they expand deeper, if he's able to get some minutes. Uh, Denver's 1-2. and two. It looks like they're going to head to the uh, consolation bracket and get that one extra game. Maybe that's a game where he can see some minutes there. The thing to keep in mind with these two is that uh, these teams are kind of haphazardly thrown together, and there's certain guys with certain reputations, certain things that need to be seen. Uh, with the Pistons, there's a lot of second-year pro guys. Uh, Bruce Brown played in 70 NBA games. Kyrie Thomas has 30 NBA games. Matt Costello has a handful. Um, Svee has a handful. So there are NBA players on the Pistons roster, and it's basically the back half of the Pistons full NBA roster is the starting unit for the summer league team. And so it's going to be harder for him to make an impact there. A little bit different with Denver. They've got some younger guys there, some undrafted guys, some second round picks. And, you know, it's just a a tough thing for a guy who's completely undrafted and is not someone who is one of those top prospects who goes undrafted you know 60 guys get drafted and number 62 like the guy who would have been drafted if there were a few more picks usually gets scooped up put on a two-way deal or at least given a a big opportunity in summer league and that's not McQuaid and that's not Cohen's and so they're trying to find some minutes here uh the thing to keep in mind though as I meander back to my original point is that they're not just playing games these teams are thrown together and they practice they're going through sort of like training things they're running through stuff Uh, And they're able to work out sort of uh, as a a, a summer league unit. And from that, you know, if Kenny was showing out in these little warm up type things and they're saying, hey, we really got to get a look at that guy, uh, then you would get some minutes in these games. And so it's just a good kind of picture of where they're at, I guess, is the way to say it. You know, they're not anywhere near a threat to make either of these teams. There may be G League players uh, next season. There's a real possibility for both of them that their first professional year will be overseas. I still think McQuaid can play in the G League and should play in the G League because with some development, I think he still could be an NBA player. Uh, Kenny, I've I've thought all along, should probably go overseas, will make more money in his NBA uh, percentages, his chance to make it to the NBA one day is ultimately kind of low compared to even a guy like McQuaid, and he can make himself a nice living playing overseas. And I think we'll, we'll probably see both of them start off in that direction, but sure, a, a frustrating start to summer league for them. Hopefully, as it kind of comes down the stretch here, um, you know, maybe McQuaid gets some minutes. The Pistons are 3-0. and They're going to be going to the winner's bracket for sure, even despite, you know, what happens that fourth game. Maybe McQuaid can find himself six or eight minutes in that game just to give him a look. And, and same with Kenny in that consolation game. Maybe he can finally get a look there. So we'll we'll see, hopeful that they can get an opportunity to show that they can play uh, at, at the very least at this summer league level. Uh, Nick Ward has been up and down, which is not a surprise. He still he started two of the Atlanta Hawks three games, I believe. Has had some really nice defensive moments. Uh, has struggled a little bit on offense. Uh, has done well on the offensive glass and is, is rebounding well. Uh, but you know, like this last game that he played yesterday, he only got he started, but he only got nine minutes. Went three or five from the floor, six points, uh, two rebounds and an assist. Picked up two fouls. 
Uh, and like I said, I only got nine minutes, so there's, I didn't watch this one, but I'm sure there were some defensive struggles with him, just some consistency. Uh, not sure why you know he only gets nine minutes, second fewest of the guys who played. Uh, but he's done some nice things. It's been up and down like you might expect. Uh, I think he's shown enough in the two games that I did watch that he does deserve uh, some G League time. And I think uh, that kind of looks like the path he'll be on. He's not going to get a two-way deal or an affiliate player, I wouldn't think. But is probably someone that Atlanta wants to add to that G League roster to see if they can develop something here, uh, make him a two-way player by this time next season so that he can be you know, a part of the future of the franchise because there's a lot of skill there. He's a big body. He's really strong. He's shown a better level of athleticism than I think he got to show at Michigan State. Had a nice chase down block. In their second game, uh, has blocked uh, a handful of shots, gotten steals, been disruptive on that end at times, and will need to work on getting his game up to an NBA level in terms of just being able to work more on the perimeter and shoot the ball. But if you can add a three-point shot, which the the shot's there, it's just adding it to the the repertoire so it's something that can be used in a game. Uh, Nick could be someone who down the road develops into an NBA player and I think has shown enough in summer league to deserve uh, at least a look in G League. Matt Costello had another huge game for the Pistons, um, led them in scoring, I think it was. I think he scored 20 points. Uh, Really effective, really efficient offensively. Did pick up nine fouls in 20 minutes, which some people are concerned about that. Some aren't. Uh, To me, it's a little concerning that amount. That's an anomaly performance, but he's been up uh, in a lot of these games. And, you know, some of it is going for blocks and not just playing smart hands straight up vertical defense some of it is athleticism and that's something at the next level that if he's going to play in the NBA if he's going to make the Pistons actual NBA roster uh, he's going to have to be better at that the nice thing is he's a backup center and backup centers aren't going to even be playing 20 minutes if 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 Matt Costello is playing 20 minutes for the Pistons uh, they've got bigger issues than his foul trouble that means something happened with Andre Drummond and you know, things got to get sorted out. So I don't worry a ton about Costello and his fouls because of, you know, what his role would be in the NBA. And he hit a few threes too as well. So nice for him to be able to show that range. I think that's something that can help him stick around in the NBA. If he can develop that into a consistent shot, uh, that could be really something. Just look at a guy like Brooke Lopez, who was becoming quickly an antiquated post player who really couldn't stay on the floor a ton. His game offensively was becoming more and more limited as the uh, offenses stretched further and further towards the perimeter. Not a great rebounder for a guy his size and his future was in doubt. And then he learns to shoot threes, hits more threes in a season than any seven footer in NBA history and gets a crap load of money for a nice long contract to stick with Milwaukee. So a big guy who can shoot is extremely valuable in the NBA. Costello is showing that he can shoot. If that's something that can be a consistent skill, He can be an absolute weapon for somebody off the bench. Right now, he's just like a consistent, steady presence. This guy will come in. He won't screw up. He'll do things uh, energy-wise. He'll block some shots. He'll rebound. He'll finish around the rim in traffic. He'll dive to the rim on pick and rolls. That's about it. It's limited. The ceiling's limited. But if he can add that three-point shot and it's real and it's consistent, uh, you know that changes the math for him. He could be someone who's making... Eight to ten million dollars a season if he's someone who can shoot the the NBA three at thirty five percent clip as a center. That is 
massively valuable and no one will care that his feet are a little bit slow on the defensive end. Uh, that'll be a huge thing if he can add that to his game. And Miles has looked really good. It's summer league. It's lower tier guys. It's not elite defenders. He's bullying people. He's getting by guys that he's quicker than. Uh, the ringer, uh, which uh, does a good job with their NBA coverage, I think has a bunch of really smart NBA people on their uh, on their website there. Uh, one of the writers listed him as the second most interesting second year player in summer league, which is a mouthful, but uh, they just talked about in the article and I pretty much kind of agree with it down the line that, you know, this is going to be a big year for miles. He's going to be asked to do a lot more things. He's going to have the ball in his hand more. Um, and he did enough as a, as a, as a rookie to sort of show there's something to work with here. And as this role expands, um, you know, they, they need to see if he can pop. Uh, they need to see if he can be someone that can be built around. And I think he's going to do a lot more offensively for them. He still won't be the primary guy. They've got Terry Rozier, who's a volume point guard shooter. They've got other veterans on the team. Um, but Miles, at the very least, is going to be an elite defender at the next level. His shooting is going to go up. He's a shot 33% from three. It's going to go up. Uh, he's going to make that nice second-year jump, I think, in three-point shooting and get up to 36%. His shots looked really good at times here in Summer League. Uh, still inconsistent, but it's there. We've seen him shoot uh, really well. He shot around 80% his second year in college. Uh, he, he can shoot the NBA three. And once he adds that, he's gotten so much better off the dribble, the playmaking and the dribbling, uh, and breaking people down is still not as polished as you'd like it to be as a primary creator, but that's not going to be miles's role, especially not next year. In a few years, miles could become a primary creator, a point forward. He's passed really well in summer league. Uh, and he's done well given what he's going up against, which is non NBA talent, some NBA talent, like he's done well against, uh, Guys who were, you know, first round draft picks this year, last year, you know, true NBA players. He's also dominated some undrafted guys, uh, but he's not facing that consistent level of elite NBA defense that he's going to be facing night in and night out in the NBA. But in a few years, you know, if the game keeps coming, if the polish is added onto there, his his offensive game is polished up a little bit uh, and he gets better playmaking, better dribbling, better uh, as a creator. Miles could be a really good player and someone that uh, Charlotte's going to want to build around for a long time. All right, let's take a break right there. When we get back, we'll talk about Marcus Bingham and the allure, the oasis of, or not the oasis, the sometimes, yeah, oasis, oasis, the mirage of an oasis in a desert <laughs> of Moneyball. Uh, you can get locked on Spartans. On the, I don't want to read that. That's the wrong thing. I'm not supposed to read that. Guys, it is 2019, and these days, shirts shouldn't rink. <laughs> One more time. Guys, it's 2019 in these days. Shirt shouldn't wrinkle, itch, or sweat. And with Twillery, they don't. Twillery makes stocking up your closet as simple as restocking the beer in your fridge. It is easy, affordable, and you get the perfect fit, guaranteed. They offer non-iron, untuckable, and performance dress shirts for as low as $55 each when you bundle four or more. And even better, they have free shipping and returns, so you can try on some Twills risk-free. Yes, you heard me right. You can try Twillery shirts completely risk-free. And right now, listeners to this show can get $25 off their first order by going to twillery.com slash locked on and entering the promo code locked on. I've been telling you guys about this. Go to twillery.com and check out these shirts. They really sell themselves. They're really great shirts. Twillery.com slash locked on promo code locked on for $25 off your first order. One more time, twillery.com slash locked on promo code locked on. All right, now back to the, uh, the read that I accidentally started doing and then 
didn't mean to do. You can get Locked on Spartans on the brand new podcasting app Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. You can find the show. Subscribe there. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Spartans. All right, welcome back to segment two of today's Locked on Spartans. That was a disaster end to that first segment. It's like I've never done an ad read my entire life. So news out of uh, East Lansing, news out of Moneyball. Marcus Bingham is up to 225 pounds. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Bingham adding weight. Uh, He couldn't get on the floor as a true freshman, has this unique skill set. He's a big dude, huge wingspan, shot blocker, can shoot from the perimeter, uh, can do some things with the ball in his hands, but was too small to get on the floor uh, consistently, especially with the team that Michigan State had. Some upperclassmen in the front court. Minutes were hard to come by. And uh, Kithier just couldn't get any minutes. And the thing we consistently heard was that he's just not big enough. He's just not strong enough yet to hang in the post in the Big Ten. Certainly a concern there. But it looks like some of those concerns are being alleviated. Uh, Xavier Tillman uh, spoke after Moneyball. Said he's bigger. He's able to hang now more in the post. He's, he's a lot stronger. He's, he's doing more physical things in practice and in these Moneyball type games. So that's all well and good. Uh, and then of course with that we always have the highlights coming out of Moneyball that everyone loves. Uh, whether it's you know someone from the Free Press or Lansing State Journal or MLive or whoever's there covering it 24-7. You know, someone's always there with their camera phone. That makes me sound like I'm 100 years old. Someone's always there with their iPhone uh, taking videos of people throwing down nasty dunks, people hitting shots from the perimeter, big guys putting the ball on the floor, all these different things. Uh, and really... It's always a lot of Michigan State guys really standing out. Uh, what you get at Moneyball, if you don't know, if you don't know how the rosters break down, uh, you get pretty much all the Michigan State guys in some form. Some will play one game, some will play four games. You'll get uh, guys from Oakland, guys from Saginaw Valley, guys from Grand Valley, guys from Mott Community College, guys from School XYZ, Division Two, Ferris State, whatever it is. Uh, former overseas players, guys who are you know 28 years old and haven't played college basketball in a few years, um, or haven't played professional basketball in a few years, uh, and it just it's a real smorgasbord. But generally, the Michigan State guys are at the highest end of the talent that is there. Uh, you saw what happened when Miles Bridges, who's been out of college for one year, went back, put on an absolute show, blew up everywhere, uh, and looked like the greatest basketball player you've ever seen. Now, these videos come out, and inevitably, because we are fans, because we want to be excited, because we want to be hopeful, uh, somebody catches our eye, somebody who is doing something we're not used to seeing them doing, catches our eye, and then we say, oh my god, yes, finally, Tum Tum can shoot threes, oh, Tum Tum is throwing it down, he's dominating Moneyball, Um, and there's just, you know, it is... Uh, a step above certainly the game that's happening at your local YMCA uh, and it is certainly many notches below what is happening uh, at the Big Ten level uh, once we get into January and we're playing actual college basketball. So everything that happens at Moneyball needs to be taken with a grain of salt. Um, You know, Marcus Bingham is dominating. Gabe Brown's doing a bunch of crazy things. Like we forget 
often, I think, layman's like you and I, people who are not elite athletes, we forget just how freaking good these guys are at playing basketball. And so, like, just like people try to take, like, people challenge JJ Redick to one on one. People, like, just regular dudes try to play one on one versus JJ Redick, and it doesn't go well. We often forget just how good these people are at basketball. And when you're playing at Michigan State, even if you're someone like Gabe Brown, who struggled to find minutes as a freshman, who has some talent, has some upside, but isn't quite a, a really good college basketball player yet. Like, he's so freaking good at basketball. And so when you put these guys on floors with players that they are notches above, you know, Division two, Division three, community college players, who are all good basketball players in their own right, when you're putting them on the floor in this, and it's a loose environment where it's not big effort, it's just a, a kind of a, a casual run through, like a, a nice run, but it's it's for highlight reels and mixtape, not mixtapes, but like highlight tapes. I, I'm a hundred years old. I'm realizing, Jesus, I'm, you get what I'm saying. Like it's to put on a show. It's more end one mixtape tour than organized college basketball. And so we have to take everything that happens here with a grain of salt. Uh, Nick Ward, who I think has offensive skill, uh, who is someone who wasn't good enough shooting, uh, wasn't good enough handling the ball and creating to do it ever, ever in the college, in college at Michigan State, he, they go find Nick Ward's money ball highlight tape, he's breaking dudes down, he's driving, he's crossing over, he's euro stepping, he's reining in threes, he's throwing down windmill dunks, he's looking incredible, these guys are all really freaking good at basketball, and they are just looking so much better in something like Moneyball, it's the perfect environment to completely show out. And so when you see clips uh, like Marcus Bingham combined with the news report that he's up 20 pounds and he's looking like the potential player that we think he can be, that they thought he could be when we recruit, yeah, it's exciting. I'm excited too. It's cool to watch them do these things, but we just have to sort of temper our expectations. Um, at any time you see something out of Moneyball, take it with a grain of salt. Look at it for what it really is. You know, Miles Bridges doing what he did was really cool because he's a spectacular athlete. Looks really great when he throws the ball off the backboard, catches it, and, and hammers on some poor kid's head. Uh, but we just got to kind of remember the context that we are watching this. Uh, what it does it really matter? What can be translated? You know, if there's someone who has an absolutely broke shot, never shoots at all, and we see him at Moneyball and the shot's looking a lot better. Maybe there's something we can take from that. Um, but, you know, not much more than that. It's really just a fun little expo for these guys' talent, for these guys to play in front of these crazy crowds. And it's just a really fun event. It's really great. It's why people come back. It's why a ton of people uh, play in it, even, you know, NBA guys like Miles, because it's a really great event. And you can like Miles is a really good example because when he was coming in his freshman year and we saw this with Aaron Henry too, you see the athlete that that he was that uh, Aaron Henry was. You can see something like that will translate like holy, okay. Now that I'm seeing this guy up close and personal like he is a legit NBA D1 athlete. When Miles came in at Moneyball, everyone was like this dude has NBA level athleticism already. Like Stuff like that, you can sort of see. You can see how big guys are, how physical they are, what type of skill set they might be working with. But it's tough to see any of that and actually think it'll translate to something real and sustainable once the basketball season rolls around. So 
Enjoy those highlight reels for sure. Enjoy Gabe Brown and his crazy dunks. Uh, and just know that that's not going to be what we're seeing from them quite this season. And you hope, you know, they can kind of put it together a little bit more. And obviously we always want to see these guys improve, but just take it all with a grain of salt. That's, that's always the, <laughs> that's always the way we should approach Moneyball. Just take it all with a grain of salt. All right, we'll break right there. When we get back for segment three, we'll talk about Michigan State's over-under win total for the season. Remember to get this show every day. Subscribe to Locked On Spartans on the new Himalaya podcast app, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. You can find it and subscribe to Locked On Spartans. All right, welcome back to segment three of today's Locked On Spartans. Let's finish it up. Uh, so Michigan State, uh, according to Bet Online, is projected with a or the line has been set at seven and a half wins for this season. So that's a it's an interesting number. I would have I don't know seven and a half is probably about what I would have thought it it came in if I was setting the line based on what I think is gonna happen this year. I would have gone eight and a half just because you know looking at that defense and knowing what comes back and knowing what is returning on offense at the skill position talent. A lot of guys didn't get to show just how good they are. And I think there are a lot of secrets at Michigan state in terms of guys who are going to be a lot better than other people think they are. And you know, like speedy nailer is a perfect example of that. And I think it would make sense that he's going to be more involved and maybe I'm projecting out a little bit, but Cody white's a really good player too. He got hurt. Uh, Speedy Naylor was in and out of the lineup, had some injuries, but did some really explosive things. Brian Lewerke was, of course, hurt. The entire offensive line was hurt. Uh, so, you know, just the knowledge that we have of the program and just how things went and the changes they made and what the whispers have sort of been would seem to think that things will be a little bit better on offense. And, like, think of it this way. They won seven games last year. Yes, the schedule is harder this year. They won seven games last year and had one of the worst offenses in the entire country, the worst offense in the D'Antonio era, the worst injury luck you could possibly get on that side of the ball. And they've really, you know, swapped things out, changed things up, and returned a lot of these guys. So I don't think seven and a half, I think it's okay. Like, I would have gone a little bit higher. Uh, and I think, you know, just spoiling it, I would be um, more inclined to bet the over on that. But let's talk in depth a little bit more about it. I'm not going to go game by game here and say, well, that's a win. That's a win. That's a loss. But so uh, <laughs> I'm going to do it a little bit, not the whole schedule. So we've got Tulsa, Western Michigan uh, at home to uh, you're pretty locked in as a win. Illinois is at home. That's pretty much locked in as a win. And then. You've got Maryland at home, Rutgers on the road, and Arizona State at home. You feel pretty darn comfortable about those. That's seven right there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's seven right there, including Indiana at home. And that's another one that you feel pretty darn good about. So that's their seven seven other eight home games. Their other home game is Penn State, which, you know, Penn State's going to be good. They go to Michigan, to Wisconsin, to Ohio State, to Northwestern. So if they win those seven games that we think that they really should have a good shot at winning, they need to go one and whatever, one and four against uh, at Northwestern, at Ohio State, at Wisconsin, home to Penn State, at Michigan. They need to go one and four in those games to hit eight and four and get your over. And if we know anything about Michigan State, they do weird things. Um, 
I would have probably gone eight now that I'm thinking about it. I think eight is a good uh, over-under win total for this team. Uh, but Michigan State is really hard to predict. When they're predicted to be really good, they're bad. When they're predicted to be mediocre, they're really good. Um, and so I think it's always tough pegging Michigan State teams. It's just a weird program. Uh, but I think, you know, given what they're bringing back on defense, it's going to be a top five unit in the entire country. Going to be, I would think, the best uh, best defense in the in the conference for sure, you know, going to Wisconsin, going to Ohio State, going to Michigan, um, what was the other one? Going to Northwestern, games like that. If you're really good on defense uh, and you can keep your team in the game, you know, we've seen it with the Ohio State game, uh, the Michael Geiger windmill. We've seen it with trouble at the snap and the the rain torrential downpour win at Michigan. If you have an elite defense that can keep you in a game like that those games become a lot more like toss-ups than they do 70-30, you know, Michigan, uh, 70% chance Michigan wins, 60% chance Wisconsin wins. Those games become really, you know, close to toss-up types games. So I think the schedule, although it's tough, there are, there's not, there's one easy road game and there's uh, four, wait, one, two, yeah, there's four difficult road games, three incredibly difficult, one difficult and one easy road game. The home game should be a pretty straightforward process. Michigan State, I think, can win all eight uh, of their home games. God, I'm losing track of all these games. Four, five, six, seven. All Michigan State can win all seven of their home games, and then beat Rutgers on the road. Uh, that's that's your that's a path to eight wins. It's pretty straightforward. And as we saw with the 2013 team that had the number two defense by S and P plus, uh, the offense finished somewhere between 50 and 60. I think it was. It was a, a bottom 30, bottom 40 offense by the at the beginning of the season. By the end of the season, it was a top 30 offense, so they ended up kind of in the middle. Uh, but, that, you know, just the entire total picture of what that offense was in 2013 was a mediocre offense, uh, and that team won 13 games. The team uh, a couple of years ago that won 10 games wasn't a great team. Same schedule pretty much that they've got this year, although at Wisconsin is in there. That makes things tougher. Uh, same, you know, division schedule that team was able to navigate, get some big wins, win some games they maybe shouldn't have won. Uh, got to nine wins in the regular season and 10 wins overall. Uh, the 2014 team had a really good offense, really, you know, a solid defense and was, you know, able to be balanced and win in different ways. Michigan State under D'Antonio, if there's one thing that's predictable about them is that they're pretty unpredictable. And so I think seven and a half, given what they're bringing back on defense and the experience that they're bringing back on offense and the talent at the skill position, you know, I think while seven and a half is a fair ish line and I understand where it's coming from, given the question marks, uh, you know, I'm more inclined to, to go over. I see a path to seven wins pretty easily as long as they are not just ravaged by injuries. Uh, and then I think 10 wins is completely in the question. I think the only colors ask this, like, what's the boldest thing you're willing to say about this Michigan State season? And actually believe, and I said double-digit wins. I think if this offense can be 70th in the country, 75th, 65th, somewhere in there, uh, this team can win 10 games and have a fighting chance and a couple others, have a real shot to pull out a little bit of magic, uh, get a big play at the end of the game, pull one out of their butts, uh, and end up with 11, 12 wins. But I, I don't think 10's out of the question. I would be surprised uh, if this team went 
seven and five or seven and six, uh, including the bowl game. If they go seven and five and lose their bowl game, end up in seven and six. Although those are regular season numbers, uh, <laughs> I think I should have checked that. If this team doesn't win eight games, I would be quite surprised. I would be really disappointed. Uh, if they don't win nine games, I would be pretty surprised and kind of disappointed. I think somewhere between you know nine to eleven is kind of the sweet spot. Uh, with a chance to get to 11, 12, and maybe even 13 if things kind of bounce your way. Who knows what's happening with Ohio State. It's kind of a weird year there. Michigan's always that kind of toss-up. You can beat Wisconsin. They're better than Wisconsin. They're better than Northwestern. They can uh, they can do a good job and have a real shot to win this division uh, and get to the Big Ten championship game if the offense has just somewhat of a pulse. String together some drives, have some explosive plays, score 28 points occasionally. Uh, they can win a lot of games this year. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Spartans. Thanks so much for listening. Reminder, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done that already. We'll be back next week with another three-episode week of Locked On Spartans. Until then, go green.